It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 555 of Accelerate. That's 555. Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I am really excited about talking with my guest today. Joining me on the show for the very first time is Judy Robinette. Judy's a startup funding expert. She's an advisor to investors and startups and author of a great book titled How to Be a Power Connector, the 5 plus 50 plus 100 rule for turning your business network into profits. And we're going to talk about the four core beliefs, part of the mindset that she believes is required to become a power connector and to build your effective network. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, as always, go to andypaul.com. In this case, andypaul.com forward slash 555. We provide a timestamp breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. Make sure you check that out. Now, friends, we all hit a sales slowdown from time to time. Oftentimes, sellers default to the notion that the solution to a slowdown is more structure and more process. But sometimes you just need to try new ideas to break out of the doldrums and to sell up to your potential. So if you're looking for new ideas about how to amp up and accelerate your sales, then you need to read the new report I've put together just for you. It's based on the specific recommendations of more than 300 experts that I've personally interviewed just on this program. And I've compiled their practical tactics and strategies into a step-by-step guide that you can use to accelerate your sales today. So don't wait. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your free copy of my report today. Finally, before I jump into it with Judy, if you like the show, as always, it would really help us out. If you could subscribe to the show, leave us a review, because we want to know what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. So let's jump right into it. Judy Robinette, welcome to Accelerate. Delighted to be here. So where do we find you today? Where are you joining us from? You know, I'm I'm here in a little town in Franklin, Idaho. If any of you watched the movie Napoleon Dynamite, sure. I went to that high school. <laughs> did you? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'll be darned. That's great. That's a great movie. So, um, huh? There you go. Every every town has its claim to fame. Yeah. So, uh, a question I ask all my guests at the start of the show is, in your mind, what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Um, you know, I I think so much is uh, the the push for getting sales in the in the first place and with all of the new technology i know a lot of people are, are really overwhelmed with all of the the technology and and it's unfortunate because the number one place you need to really focus on is relationships and there's some new studies that just came out that said uh, meeting somebody face to face results in about 10 times faster the the connection and the possibility of of sales or getting whatever your ask is well, and that's I'd written uh, an article just a few weeks ago talking about the new sales tool that uh, you know taking the <laughs> taking the profession by storm. It's called meeting people face to face. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And and it got quite a response from from people a very positive response. People saying, "Yeah, we just we need to do more of that." And and I sometimes feel like I'm stuck in my office, and if I could just get out there and meet the people, but you know. We're supposed to be inside sales these days, and we can't do that. And it's, and I said, yeah, those maybe you don't. I mean, <laughs> back when I was selling, back and before all these uh, nice tools existed, even though we were selling face to face, we weren't inside sales. We still spent eighty percent of the sales effort was done remotely anyway. It's like get out of the office occasionally. Yeah, I mean, people have got to know you like you trust you, right? So I like that. I'll have to. 
after we're done with the show off to get uh, links to those studies. Um, yeah, so the overwhelm. Let's talk about that for a second. Is is there a solution to that? I mean, because we're sort of in this era, I sort of called the golden age of sales in the sense that we're we're seeing this huge flood, if you will, tidal wave of new technologies coming into the sales space. And yeah, it's sort of, you know, sales stacks are, you know, it could be 13 applications on a sales stack, that sales tech stack that, yeah, it's hard to master all that. Yeah, I think it is. And and I think you, you uh, should not be overwhelmed. You should realize that the technology should be a tool and that's all it is. It's a tool. Uh, it, it's not going to be the magic answer, but it's a tool. Well, I've, one of the things I see, and I'd be interested in your opinion on this, with the tools, certain of the tools, is that they're all about the seller and none of it's designed to say, yeah, how do we use this tool to help the customer gather the information they need more quickly to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and resources, which is what they want to do. But it doesn't, seem, know, like, it doesn't seem like the tools are they're all focused on, hey, how we help the sellers, not how do we help the buyers. You know, I think they're coming. So uh, last month in New York, I judged pitch event for artificial intelligence, virtual reality. Um, and I can tell you, it's amazing uh, to hear these pitches and how artificial intelligence, for instance, is now uh, becoming a, a mainstay part of, of many of these technologies. Sure. And and so I think we'll see that. And, and I think that'll be really helpful because I often think that uh, people are in the wrong room, whether it's knocking on the door or picking up the phone. And it, it would be better if you could use some artificial intelligence so you, you weren't overwhelmed with this you know, market size of hundreds of, of people and, and you really could drill down to the right kind of customer who would need you now. And so, I mean, there's, I don't know if you've read Jeff Colvin's book about humans are underrated, um, sort of paints a, a picture as do other people that actually, you know, people become more valuable as we get the greater um, adoption of AI driven technologies that in the sales space, that the thing that's really going to become valuable is that ability to connect face to face with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, people pick up so many cues that are nonverbal. I mean, the majority of the, the communication that happens is nonverbal and, and you can't do that over the phone or emails. You just can't do it. What about staring at a camera that's uh, on a system that's powered by AI? Because, you know, now they can parse every little micro expression on your face, uh, supposedly, to tell what your, your reaction to something is. Well, you know, I haven't, I haven't experienced those, but I always love to be able to, you know, look at people and feel like I can have some freedom. I don't know that I would like Big Brother in, in sales or anything else looking over my <laughs> shoulder and assessing what my, my expressions might be, but... You know, you there has to be a relationship first, and it needs to be personal. That that really is, uh, and the people who have a powerful network can get things done faster. And it isn't so much going out and just uh, meeting people one on one, getting in the the right room of of decision makers. And so, for instance, I'll have people say to me, "Well, I don't know about any of these private groups." And I'll say, you know, a good place is the Association of Corporate Growth. Um, They're all over the world. They're in all major cities, most mid-tier cities. And it's made up of uh, CXOs that are interested in the mid-tier markets. And so if you think outside of what group you could go to uh, instead of just one-on-one that could have decision makers, the people you could meet face-to-face, these groups are open. They have lunch meetings. You get to stand up, introduce yourself, say where you're from, 
And it's those things that really help you accelerate rather than meeting people one-on-one. And, you know, a lot of people, and I hate the word networking, I think it's kind of manipulative and, and icky, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you really need to, to think about where your customers are. And I'll give you a good story. So sure. years ago, I met a fellow from Salt Lake, and he was hired by a big wealth management company from the East Coast to move to Salt Lake uh, to be one of their wealth managers. And he's black and he's gay. He doesn't quite fit into the normal mainstream that you would think in in Salt Lake City conservative Mormons. And uh, I said to him one day, you know, you've you've got one of the biggest books of, of business now in town. How did you do that? And he said, I joined the symphony. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. He said, so who are my customers? People that are wealthy. Where do they hang out? They hang out at the symphony. I spent an extra 75 bucks and get to go to the little meeting before the orchestra Mm -hmm. plays. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, that's where I I found out the key connections. Let's talk about connecting uh, instead of what we'll call it networking, building your network, I guess, maybe as opposed to. And for people who are listening who haven't uh, read Judy's book, How to Be a Power Connector, the 5 plus 50 plus 100 rule for turning your business network into profits, well worth well worth reading. So I thought we'd start off just sort of talking about your four key beliefs of successful connectors. Um, you know, I think the most, and I've changed a little bit in my view since sure. I wrote the, the book, but you know, it's really important that you be authentic, that you be yourself, um, that you show a level of generosity. So research shows that when you meet a stranger, the first two things you look for is, you know, are, are they friendly or will they kill me? Uh, the second one <laughs> is, do they have some level of confidence? Competence. Right. Uh, but I always add generosity because just because someone can help you doesn't mean that they will. So I always like to do kind of a value match. And I used to say to people, I only let people in my network that had a good head, a good heart, and a good gut. And I finally boiled it down to, is this person an Oprah or a Martha Stewart? Now, they're both billionaires. They're really good at what they do. But if I had to trust one with my life, it would be Oprah. And so I think it's so, really... I don't know. Martha's, Martha's been in prison. She might be pretty tough in a, in a, in a fix. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think Oprah's probably pretty tough in a fix now after, <laughs> after her... Uh, her uh, kerfluffle with the uh, beef industry, but uh, but anyway, it's really important that you know you have this close knit group of people that are diverse across different industries that you can turn to, and, and they do have your back and they will have your future. Well, as you said, I mean, business relationships are relationships first, and I and I think that you touched on this a little bit earlier in the conversation is that you can't go into it sort of having at the, the front, of, front of your mind that you want something from this other person. Yeah, yeah. So I teach people what I call the three golden questions. And, and this is how, you know, just in the past two weeks, I've, I've made a trip to uh, L.A. and last week to Vegas meeting with uh, billionaires. Um, I, I, don't, I haven't even kept count of how many billionaires I've met now. And, you know, I was a nobody. It was bullied, shy. Uh, and it, it is because of three simple questions. And the first one is, how can I help you? So I always focus on the other person. And as long as you're alive and you have goals, you're going to have problems. Everybody's got problems. And somebody's problem is somebody else's solution. Um, after you've told people where you're at, what you're doing, I suggest you say, what other ideas do you have for me? That's a really easy ask. And uh, the next one, number three, is who else do you know I should talk to? And so research also shows that your network is limited to a friend of a friend of a friend. But as soon as you ask, who else should I talk to, 
you've really kind of curated the best people out of their network, which is roughly 600 to 1,000 people. And this is how I got introduced to billionaires. I've been on panels with Mark Cuban. I did two trips to the White House. White House last year once to a private fintech conference. And I get asked to a lot of curated private events. And that's Mm -hmm. what you want to do. You want to move yourself up uh, into people that are decision makers that you're you're not going to find that are going to show up at a typical networking event. Yeah, I was going to I was going to tell you that that when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I was like, wow, you know, they say who else people are searching when they're searching for you. And it's like, in your case, it was like, one of the most impressive <laughs> second categories, like Mark Cuban, Jessica Alba, um, all sorts of yeah billionaires. Yeah, well, thanks. It's and it's fun, but I always start from the focus of how can I add value. And um, you know, I was on a panel with Mark Cuban, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could get Mark to endorse my book? And he told me he didn't have time. And in a split second, I thought to myself, well, I'll go to your boss, uh, Mark Burnett. Well, I didn't know Mark. But I made a couple of phone calls and found out a friend of a friend of a friend who had been to a dinner. And I called and said, what does he need? And Mark and his wife, Roma Downey, had uh, produced the movie Son of God and had spent 18 million of their own money and were worried about how they were going to come up with marketing money. And I thought, you know, here I am in Salt Lake. It's home to 16 million plus of really well-organized Mormons who also believe in Jesus. And I found out who the handler was, did a little research, and uh, the, uh, the said, handler. yeah, Mark. Uh, so all of these, the movie stars, you know, oh, okay. people, they, they often have handlers, Got it. Uh, people that are the big gatekeepers, mm-hmm. and uh, said, I can help here, here, and here. And the next thing I knew, I was invited to dinner in uh, Park City with, with Mark. And I said, you need to do this. I can get you on CBS, have your wife interviewed for more magazine. Uh, you know, he looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> and and so from doing a little bit of homework, I got that meeting with a total stranger. Sure. And then he said, what could I do to help you? And I said, you know, I'd love if you'd look at my book. And he said, happy to endorse it. And oh, by the way, one of my friends is Oprah. Um, she has a house next to ours. Um, could I give her a copy of the book? And, you know, I still maintain a relationship with him. When he became the CEO of MGM, I, I jotted a quick congratulations email, and and he responded in half an hour. And so really the secret is adding value and realizing there is no lack of resources out there. 7.4 billion people, 376 trillion of private global wealth, uh, countless information and ideas. But, But I find most people, you know, they stay in their comfort zone. If I ask them to look at their network, and tell me who these people are. It's people just like them. You know, a, another white sales guy in the same industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you really have to diversify and get outside your comfort zone and, and make sure that people you may need, media people, whatever, uh, get invited to Renaissance Weekend would be a big one. Uh, these private curated events where the people who make the decisions are really hanging out. Now, they do find that, you know, 80% of people have already gone online and have researched whether they're going to make a sell or not. And so all of that stuff has to be in place. But boy, it doesn't hurt to, you know, know the CEO or VP or somebody important that will take a meeting. Yeah, well, I think one of the critical points you just brought up, though, is is taking initiative. That's yes. Like for, for you... You know, it wasn't that Mark Burnett asked you for anything. You 
you on your own initiative went and you know did this research and connected with these people. And so when you did meet them, you had that. Yeah, and it didn't take a lot of time or effort. And, you know, if you understand that everybody else hurts. I mean, when I was younger, I thought everybody else was better. They'd been to Harvard, you know, they were whatever. Um, and as I got older, I realized everybody's got problems, significant problems. And, and often someone from the outside uh, can make one introduction, could send one article, one book, could invite them to one event that would so help them uh, that then, you know, they would, uh, they would certainly reciprocate. And, mm -hmm. and that is so true. And, uh, you know, studies on influence show that that's true. But, uh, but I always try to help. And sometimes the people you help, it doesn't come back to you, but it certainly helps you learn and grow. And, uh, you know, my first invite to the White House was somebody I had helped who called me and said, hey, I can't go to this White House meeting. Uh, would you like to go on my place? Well, I about fell off my chair. I'd never been. You know, I brought home the napkins that had the White House logo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I find out they buy those in the cases and, and just ask people to take the napkins, not the silverware. So, um, this is and, like a, cl if, a cloth napkin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and by the time you, you get into some of those groups, you find out there's this whole other world. Now, when I was young, I'd never met a millionaire. So, so it, you know, it was jaw-dropping for me to uh, be asked to come talk to billionaires and, and go to these kind of events. And, and you know, I was, I was a nobody. And, but I focus on the other person. And now my network is strong enough that someone can call me. Um, and, and I usually can, within two connections, uh, get the job done for them, whatever it is, raise money or whatever. So when you're meeting with the, these billionaires, what are you, what are you doing? Um, well, the the, uh, the first uh, fellow wants to make sure that equity crowdfunding is alive and well and is spending uh, half a, a million a month doing that and hmm. just uh, wanted to get my, my input. And I helped with crowdfunding um, when, it, when it was in its formation, went to the White House and the SEC. The second billionaire's last exit was $2.7 and he's got a prostate oncology drug. Uh, ready to go into trials and, and wanted to, to have some regulatory help. And I actually had ran a public biotech company for about nine years. Another mm -hmm. one of those accidents of me showing sure. up, and sure. telling the board, you ought to do this, this, and this. And they said, we want you to be the CEO. And I said, I can't be the CEO of a public company. And after I'd said that about three times, I'm like, hello, you always did want to be a CEO. And uh, so so that's really how that, that happened. Huh. Very interesting. Um so let's let's talk about what people do wrong most of the time. So in terms of when they go out to, to make connections, we talked about the fact you know they're inauthentic and and so on. But um, one thing you talked about that sort of resonated is people network at the wrong levels. Yeah. Um, so two things: I see people that you know dash into these silly elevator speeches. The last thing I want to hear at a Christmas party or, or a stranger is uh, is about that. Um, I, I met a wonderful attorney. His name is William Snore. He's uh, out of Boston, does work globally. Uh, in, in talking with him, I found out his dog had just died. I followed up with him and, and asked him, you know, if they had a, a new dog, and he said, not yet. The family was still healing. Well, the last time I talked to him, and it's now been two years, I, I said, have you got a new pup? And he said to me, thank you so much for asking. And so you really need to listen to people and and realize they're a human being, 
What's important to you is important to them, their family, their pets, their finances, and their health. And so, you know, I, I, the big mistake I see is people not listening. I, it, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Mm-hmm. You know, learn, learn to read between the lines. Uh, and the, the second one is, uh, you know, it's like walking up to a stranger. Hey, don't you want to give me a check for a million dollars for my startup? <laughs> and it's like, you know, wrong place, wrong time. You've, you've got to establish the relationship. So the, the object is, you know, get the second date. And, and the third one I see is people uh, do not have a diverse network. Now, it only takes 25 people. You don't have to have gazillions of people. And, and Dunford's law shows that groups fall apart at 150. Right. I had, I had a guy call me and he said, you know, I'm writing a book on networking. and I've got 40,000 people in my database and I send out Christmas cards. And I'm like, really, dude, how many of those people have ever helped you? And it was less than 12. Sure. So you you need to really focus on people that will will help you and make sure it's diverse, and then practice really practice pretending like uh, you're a best friend. You're you're really listening, keyed in, making eye contact. See if there's chemistry. If, if there isn't, you just you know find somebody else. Uh, but but oftentimes we're we're all hungering to hear a compliment, to have somebody really pay attention to us as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point about, about not listening is, is I just saw a study this week saying that people listen to 25% efficiency. Yeah. So, and you, and you'll have to share that with me. That's, uh, that's really uh, interesting. Uh, I always tell people when they go for a job, pretend like the person across the desk is their best friend. I, I mean, really look at them in the eye and I also say, you know, do the homework on, on that person. Find out if you can what their hobbies are, what they care about. Do a scan of the room. Uh, you know, their pictures, their books. All of these things are clue to who is this human being that you're you're with right now. So why why does it seem like it's so hard for us in sales to sort of take these these lessons about how you effectively connect with other people and really translate them into selling and to connecting with people and, and reaching out to people proactively because certainly I'm sure you've seen it and then you're on the receiving end of emails from, you know, various software companies, whatever. And they claim they're personalized, but all they've done is, is injected your, your first name into a, a mail merge. And, and I think that's enough. Yeah. And I think part of it is, you know, somebody's given them a list of a thousand people or whatever, and, and so they can't do the homework. But I would say uh, figure out how you can um, willow that list down to the top 25 people that are the most critical that could help you exceed your bonus um, and make sure that you've done a little research, check them out on LinkedIn. And, you know, part of the listening thing requires that we open ourselves up and be vulnerable. And I think that's really hard. Um, And it's I listened to uh, President Clinton and President Bush talking about the number one thing they thought was responsible for success in the White House and its humility. Mm. Um, And I found out, you know, and I think I was scared. I was stupid. I was scared people would reject me. When I finally figured out everybody else had problems too, it it allowed me to be more honest and open instead of look at me how great I am, um, and you know I don't I don't do that anymore. I I think I used to try to inhale as much data and information and you know all the stuff you would call benefits, 
and and for me, it was uh, kind of a way to keep people at, at a distance. I hadn't thought of that until right now. But you know, if you're afraid about how you're coming across, then you you don't really focus on uh, a relationship. Yeah, I don't charge a fee for therapy here, but um, <laughs> for the insights you pick up. But what do you recommend for people in terms of how to be vulnerable? You know, I just had a, a gentleman, PhD, and and we've given speeches at the National Press Club everywhere, and and he came to me, and and he was almost in tears. He shaky voice, and uh, he told me that uh, somebody had accused him of uh, coming across as very arrogant. Uh, and he's not, but he doesn't show vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know, as soon as you start saying you work with Rockefeller and the Gates Foundation and you've met with the president, uh, people are thinking, like, who is this guy? And and I learned this the hard way. When I did a book, people would come up to me and say, oh, you're so successful. And I didn't feel successful. Right. But I started thinking about it. Other people didn't have a book that had been rated, you know, number one by Inc., and so, and and I'm blessed, and I always make it a point to let people know it, it is humbling. Uh, I, I, I don't take it for granted that I get asked to the White House or, or these things. Uh, you know, you have to, I think, show a, a bit of humility, and I think that makes you a bigger human being, someone that can be trusted more. When I give speeches, I will always say something that's, you know, funny about my myself or... Right. Uh, allows people to kind of see in the kimonos, they call it in cells. It's, uh, you know, I'll often tell people I'm a cross between Utah Mormons and West Virginia Southern Baptist hillbillies, and it probably says a whole lot about my personality. <laughs> and and everybody in the room just, you know, breaks out laughing, and, you know, people are told don't talk about religion, don't talk about whatever. Politics. Um, you know, I've, I've told him about a bear that was, uh, I thought I was after him, and he, he was after me in Yellowstone, which is about three and a half hours for me. You know, just mm-hmm. funny, because we all make mistakes. We all have these funny little things. And if you have a good, you know, a couple of good stories that you can uh, share that shows people you're a human being. Well, I think that's really the key, right, is, is, is how do you show people you are human? How do you, how do you become more human? And I think yeah. that's one of the challenges that, that several authors have laid out in terms of, of the future is when we have all this automation around us that can increasingly do parts of the jobs maybe we're doing now, how do we add value? Yeah. And how are we creating and, value? It's by being human. Well, and, and I'll tell you something I learned. Probably the three most powerful words in the human language besides I love you is please help me. Mm-hmm. Now, now that takes some guts the first couple of times that you you do that. But it turns out when you ask people, what other ideas do you have for me? That That's just one level, a couple levels down from please help me. And most humans will help you. Right. Um, and I think we're taught research I read in uh, somebody's book that said, if you've been raised lower to middle class, you're taught, keep your head down, work hard, don't ask for help. People will notice. And you find out other people don't notice that you have to uh, get out of your comfort zone and, and do some things. Yeah, I found one thing that that uh, helps, I mean, not helps, but a, a phrase that, that's really effective on the connection you talk about, please help me, is, is, you know, one thing that when we greet people, you know, we have this throwaway line, how you doing, right? And, yeah. and I learned this from somebody a few years ago. What he does is he, <laughs> he doesn't do that. What he stops is when it gets to that point, 
he looks the person in the eye and says, so tell me, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And that's a whole different conversation gets started right then. And yeah. A, and a connection. And just by taking this the throwaway greeting and actually turning it into something that's really an authentic ask of somebody that you're really interested in, right? Yeah, how are you absolutely. Doing? Yeah. And I think that's a, a very powerful and easy thing to do. And, and, you know, that brings up an excellent point. Somebody told me to read the book, The Question. Uh, and it has had a profound impact on my life. And I think it's Dan Kennedy. I'll send you the information. And he said, if you and I were having this conversation three years from today, what would need to have happened personally and professionally for you to be happy? Uh, what three things do you need to, to mitigate that are dangerous uh, what three opportunities do you need to grab right now? And what are the three strengths that will make the biggest difference for your future? And that really sums up. And, and he says, you know, use that question with people. Um, and uh, he said that people who won't answer it, you, you don't want to know anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, I, I, I like what that guy said, and I'm going to use that. So you said it came from Dan Kennedy? Uh, yes. I'll, okay. I'll get the book. I think it's called, it's probably The Question. All right. Yeah. And yeah. The, the whole thing, it's a short little book and it's it's about that. What three things do you need to do right now or, or what in the next three years that would make you happy? Specifically, what three things do you need to, that are dangerous that you need to deal with? What are three strengths to focus on and what are three opportunities to pursue? And that literally gives you a framework, helps you focus right now where you are in life. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, other people are too. Yeah, and I think the really critical thing that you're bringing up for people to understand is when you're connecting with somebody in a business setting, the question doesn't have to be about business, right? The yeah. question you just asked, what's going to make you happy? Yeah, yeah. You may feel you know, reluctant to ask that question, but you really shouldn't because that's going to be when you start connecting. Yeah, and you know, if, if you would have asked me that, I'd have said, you know, I had two things on my bucket list last year. One was to learn Spanish and to buy a horse. And, and I'm doing both. And I'm having so much fun with this Mustang, a wild horse that was supposed to be little. And they tell you these are mean. Right. Uh, she's 15.2 hands. She's going to be a very large horse. Yeah, very big. Um, and if I rattle uh, uh, peppermints, the pink and white round balls, if I rattle that, she'll run across the acre. She'll put her head, start swishing her lips together. <laughs> Where's my candy? And, and I'm having great fun with that horse. And I'm having great fun learning Spanish. Teaching the horse so, Spanish? <laughs> no, we're we're still at uh, giddy up and whoa. <laughs> but uh, but you know we all have things in our personal life that we're doing that hopefully we love and that we'd like to talk about our kids, our pets, whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Judy, unfortunately we're out of time, but it's been great talking with you. Uh, tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Well, you can just email me, judy at judyrobinette.com. No E on the end of Robinette. And I'm on LinkedIn and uh, www.judyrobinette on the web. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you very much for joining me again. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Remember, come back again tomorrow. Listen to another great episode of Accelerate. And thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 